text this morning is Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 34. Before we begin, I have a moment of confession for you. And that is that as I looked here at this section of the scripture, I was so eager and excited to get to Genesis 22, which is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, that earlier this week I actually considered just passing over this text and going right to it. And then I realized that that's not my discipline. So I sat down and and looked and studied at this text, and and the Lord blessed me with what seems to be a, a pretty pedantic text, a pretty simple text, that there is, I think, some good practical wisdom and encouragement for us living our lives as Christians in the world today. So I'm thankful that the Lord has prevented me from skipping this portion of His Word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through it as well. Our text is Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 34. This is the very Word of God. It is completely without error. It is completely sufficient, and it is all authoritative. Genesis 21:22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would cause it to take root in our hearts, that we would know you in a greater way, that we would be more eager to serve you and that we would be blessed by your kind 
mercy, and grace. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most difficult questions for Christians to face is how we are supposed to relate to the world. How do we deal with our neighbors who do not profess Christ? Our co-workers, family members, those who are about us and around us all the time. When to speak, when to be silent, what to speak, how to say it, what to do, how to do it. This is a real challenge because at times we can feel frozen in thinking that everything that we do or say is completely up to us. And if we mess it up, the eternal consequences are on our heads. But the truth is that the sovereign God who created the universe, who flung the stars into existence, and who by His grace called us by the work of His Son, is also the same sovereign God that treats our relationships with others around us. He is preparing our hearts. He is giving us opportunities. And He is providing for us mercy and grace in that. And so this morning I would like us to see as we look at this engagement here between Abraham and Abimelech, the way in which Abraham relates to the world around him by God's grace. I'd like us to see four things this morning. First, I would like us to see how we can be testifying to the world. Testifying to the world who we are and what we believe. And then second, we can also be standing for right in the world. Someone needs to stand for the right. And that is the call of believers. But thirdly, we have to understand and know that we are living in the world. That this is the place we have been called to sojourn. And then finally, we will see that even in the world, there is a place for worshiping. Worshiping in the world. So testifying to the world, standing for right in the world, living in the world, and worshiping in the world. Let's begin then by looking at the beginning of our text. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. The very first thing that we need to understand and acknowledge is that our testimony to the world very often begins not with what we say, but with what we do, or even more so with what we have done. Our lives speak for us, and that is the case here with Abraham. He is no exception. He has gained the attention of Abimelech. You remember Abimelech back from chapter 20, the king of Gerar, where Abraham and Sarah had sojourned. And he comes back on the scene. He enters in with his initiative. And he begins then to speak to Abraham. And as is so typical of a worldly ruler, he begins to frame the relationship. Have you ever wondered why there are so detailed rules for presidential debates? Who goes first? How many seconds, where you can stand, what kind of clothes you wear, what the podium looks like. It's because it's our tendency to try and frame everything we can to our own advantage. 
Every mother in here is an expert at this, right? Your children come up to you before they ask for something, they frame it. Um, Mom, I was just thinking and I decided to clean my room all on my own because I just felt like it. And, and then I helped you by putting away the dishes just, you know, because I'm that kind of a good kid. And I was just wondering, I've just happened to do that. Could, could I go out with my friends tonight? They frame the issue. And that's what Abimelech does here. Now notice he doesn't come by himself to meet with Abraham. He comes with Phicol, his general, and probably with a substantial army or at least an armed force behind him. And he comes in here and he reminds Abraham of who he is, that he's a sojourner, that he's wandering in this land. And yet at the same time, while he's framing this debate, framing this relationship, he is a bit afraid of what will happen. He's afraid the tables will turn someday. And he will have less power than Abraham. He's concerned about his descendants and his posterity. And so all of this comes into Abraham's life and it comes in the middle of ordinary life. Look at the first three words of this text. At that time. What this means is Abraham had no time to prepare for this encounter. He had no time to pretty up his past. He had no time to set things the way he wanted them to be. And we need to understand that our encounters with others come just that way. In the middle of a long day. In the middle of a day in which those people at work who could take advantage of you have done so. When the kids are sick. When the car breaks down. When money is lost. You see, we have to understand that we deal with others around us in ordinary life. There is no special time that you can wait for and say, hold on, God, don't bring me anyone to talk to until I'm well-rested, well-fed, and things are going well. And by the way, give me an extra half an hour to study my Bible. Life doesn't work that way, does it? You're going out to lunch. And the air conditioning isn't working and you're hot and you go in to grab some fast food and it's a long line, longer than you think, and someone is standing behind you and they engage you in a conversation. That's where the world meets you. We also have to remember that our lives speak for us and they don't always speak proudly for us. Do you see what Abimelech asks Abraham? Giant of the faith. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Now, why on earth would Abimelech ask him not to deal falsely? This is Abraham. He's an upstanding, God-fearing citizen. He's an active and prompt church member. He has family worship in his home. He trusts the promises of God. Why on earth would someone say, don't swear falsely with me? It's pretty simple. Because he did. He can't take that out of his past, you see? The last time Abimelech met with Abraham, Abraham lied to him and then tried to cover it over by saying, well, it was really only half a lie. And you see, that happens to us too. When you deal with your neighbors, your neighbors are people who have seen you yell at your kids. 
They have watched you slam doors. They have seen you make comments that are unattractive. These are the people who are around us. And if we know that we are sinners saved by grace, we must know we cannot be on our best behavior and perfect all the time. That is a part of our life. We need to embrace that. Rather than pretending that we are perfect people that other people should try to be like, we need to explain to them that we are not perfect and that it is by the grace of God that we stand. You can too. This is the setting here, the ordinary life setting. And you see, Abraham needs to seize upon it because he has gained a reputation in Abimelech's mind. It's kind of like that defensive back who has a reputation for hitting just a little bit too early. And then he's shocked. Oh, he's shocked when the flag is thrown at him when he's not even guilty. You see, the reputation proceeds. And so what we need to do is we need to prevent these barriers from being placed up. We need to be careful with our speech, careful in our relationships. And then when these barriers are brought up, we need to overcome them. We need to acknowledge that they are real, that we are fallen people, and overcome them as we engage with others. That is how we deal with the world. Our lives speak, and they also speak, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they speak of the Lord. In the midst of all of Abraham's badness, do you see Abimelech's comment? God is with you. In all that you do. The grace of God is so evident in Abraham's life that Abimelech can see it from afar. He recognizes it and he actually confesses it out loud. Can you imagine that? You need to in terms that you can understand. I don't think this week, if you're a Chick-fil-A, you will meet a pagan king. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. But I do think that you will meet others who do not profess the Lord Jesus Christ. And could you imagine if your neighbor, who always has bad things to say about church, who doesn't believe in God, walked up to you and he said, you know, I can see that God is with you in all that you do. There's something about your family. There's something about the way you run your business. There's something about the way you relate to others. You see, this is what the Christian strives for in his actions. Our works are not to make us right with God. Our works are in gratitude for the work that God has already done that show unbelievers that God is at work. They are testimonies to stop the mouths of those who disbelieve in the Lord. They are encouragements to others to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the pattern of God's people. It's said of Abraham. We will see later in chapter 26, the exact same thing is said of Isaac. God is with you. The exact same thing is said of Jacob in chapter 30. And of Joseph. You see, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should be someone that others stand and look and say, God is with you in all that you do. It speaks of God and His grace and God and His faithfulness. Now, do you see this here? God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear 
so you won't be false. There's an irony here. God is with Abraham, and he's not very trustworthy. How do those two things go together? The God who's with Abraham knows that Abraham is not very trustworthy. Well, you see, Abimelech understands that it is the relationship that Abraham has with God that carries him. That's why he says, I have dealt kindly with you, and you need to deal so with me. And this word here for kindly is not nice. It's not, you let me pick first among the desserts. It's not, you give me a special word of encouragement. No, this word here for dealt kindly is God's word for his covenant, faithfulness, and love. Chesed. It means the relationship that God has with his people, one of faithfulness and love and covenant fulfillment. And Abimelech understands this, that Abraham is in a relationship with God. He has seen this and he is encouraged by it. And so in all of this, we see myth number one exposed. Of four we will see this morning. Myth number one exposed that It is just what we say that matters. No. How we live has direct consequences upon the proclamation of the gospel. As Christians, it is not just what we say. We we are doing the Lord a disservice if we memorize huge swaths of the Bible to give to others. And our relationships are hard. And we treat our spouse horribly. It is not just what we say that matters. So ask yourself this question right now. Is the grace of God evident in your life to those who are around you? Now, I don't mean, young people, do you seem to be well behaved and understanding the things of church to adults? No, I mean, when you are out with your friends, do they know that you have the grace of God in your life? Women, I don't mean when you are here in a group. I mean, when you are with your closest friends, do they see the grace of God evident in your life? Men, when you are at work, when you are with your colleagues, when you are with your closest buddies, do they see the grace of God evident in your life? That's how the Lord speaks through us. The second thing we see here is that Abraham relates to the world by standing for right in the world. He stands for principles. The first principle he stands for is honesty. Now, Notice this. Abimelech comes to him and asks him to swear and asks him not to deal falsely. Now imagine that Abraham were running for Congress or were a typical teenager or were giving a presentation at work. Well, I I think I could do that, but, you know, I haven't really sworn falsely before. It's really a bit of a stretch to say that I had sworn falsely. Not to say that I couldn't swear falsely, but isn't that how we speak? We hedge our bets. We give an explanation. We give excuses. We compromise. What's Abraham's answer? 
I will swear. Period. Abraham is enacting right before our eyes the command of our Lord Jesus to let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. When you speak to others, don't compromise or excuse or explain away. Stand on your word. Honesty. The second principle that Abraham stands for is peace. Because he knows that a covenantal relationship requires honesty. And so, unlike the last time he was with Abimelech, when he was afraid to bring things up, when he was hedging his bets, when he was half-telling truths, he comes right out and says to Abimelech, I'm happy to do this, but we've got a problem that we need to deal with right up front. Some of your guys stole my wealth. Let's talk about that. Now, do you understand here that when he does this, he's really seeking peace? You see, so many of us are tempted because our world is full of the kind of thinking that says, Abraham, don't bring that up. Hope it goes away. And what we do is we ignore things and we don't deal with things, and we don't talk to people, and they grow, and they fester, and they get worse and worse, and then they are uncontrollable and blown out of proportion. You see, if you want peace with others, you must love them enough to speak to them directly about things. Now, notice Abraham is not being snide about it. He's not accusing Abimelech directly. He says, we need answers, and we need to fix this problem so that we can have peace. And that allows Abimelech to speak directly back to Abraham. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't falsify. He looks right at Abraham and he gives him a threefold denial. He says, I don't know who's done this. You didn't tell me. And I haven't heard it before today. He says, I'm completely innocent. And in that innocence, what he's saying is, If I had known this, and if you had have told me, and if I had heard of it before, I would have taken care of it. And now they both know that they've spoken directly, and they are on the same page, and they can go forward walking together. As we relate to the world, we need to relate with peace. The third thing that we see is that Abraham stands for justice. He trusted the Lord in the midst of this, And he said, fair is fair. I dug this well. It's mine. You see, being a Christian, thinking more of others than yourself, taking off your cloak and giving it to them, is not about denying justice. Because when we deny justice, we deny the character of God. So we must stand on these principles. But the second thing we must do as we stand is we must restore the disruptions that occur in peace and justice. And this corrects for us myth number two about relating at the world. I think sometimes we as Christians think that our job only is to tell the truth. Yelling. It's kind of like when an American goes overseas say to China, or to Italy, or to Africa, and they don't know the language, and they begin to ask for certain things or have a conversation, and they're certainly not being understood, and we as Americans think the solution to someone not knowing English is simply to speak slower and louder. 
works every time. And I think as Christians, we think that's our job too. That we are to stand in place and stand on the word. And what that means is we need to yell at people. And if they don't change, we need to yell louder. And slower and louder. And make sure they get it. But you see, that's a myth. Because, see, it's not enough to simply stand for the truth. We must stand for the truth. But we are also called to be peacemakers. That's what Abraham is doing here today. He's not standing on his rights. Once this difficulty is resolved, he is the one that provides the animals for the sacrifice. He doesn't stand on his rights and say, Abimelech, where's your sacrifice? He is the one that provides the testimony that this is true by the giving of the seven lambs. Abraham is living out the biblical injunction from Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. I dare say in our century, this is something that Christians could learn to cultivate. We're getting a bit of a bunker mentality, aren't we? Because every time we turn around, it seems like we're under attack. And the solution to being under attack, our Lord tells us, is not to attack back, but rather as much as it depends on us to live at peace with others. Now, that acknowledges that it doesn't only depend on us, and you cannot be at peace with everyone. Some people will not let you. But we have to be peace initiators. The third thing that we see here is Abraham living in the world and relating to other people. And this is myth number three exposed. Myth number three says that we as Christians should be totally separate from the world. And some have gone so far as to make a formula for this. It's not just that I'm separate from someone who's in the world. I need to be separate from someone who won't be separate from someone who's in the world. And I need to be separate from someone who won't be separate from someone who won't be separate from someone in the world. And so what we do is we form then a huge Christian ghetto where we only listen to Christian music. We only have Christian wall hangings. We only have Christian art. We only have Christian literature. We only have Christian novels. We try and take everything we can and set up a wall between us and the world. When in reality, Abraham shows us that we are called to live in the world. Not compromising our principles, standing for the truth with a life that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have to interact with others. We must. And you see, Abraham does this. He makes a covenant with a pagan king. If Abraham can make a covenant, an oath-bound agreement with a pagan king, surely you can take a meal with an unbeliever. Surely we can work together with others to clean up our community, to see that people are fed and clothed, to see that children are not murdered in the womb. You see, we have to live in the world that doesn't require we abandon our testimony. It doesn't require that we compromise on the truth. But you see, Abraham is is understanding of this and willing to have a relationship with others and he is living by the truth. He is not afraid to have a public witness and testimony to this. Now, notice Abraham doesn't change who he is in order to accommodate Abimelech. 
He simply meets Abimelech in the world where he is. The fourth thing that we see here is Abraham worshiping in the world. And this exposes myth number four. If myth number three is that we can't be like anyone, we must be totally separate from the world, myth number four, its opposite, says that we must be like the world in order to reach them. And so this kind of thinking doesn't necessarily have separate Christian music, separate Christian writing, separate Christian art. What it does is it tries to produce Christian art, music, or literature that looks exactly like the popular culture. Have you ever gone into a grocery store and seen one of these store knockoff products where the bottle or the packaging looks almost exactly like the brand? You all know that one of the things I refuse to eat, cheaper store-bought version of, is Oreos. Now, I will save money on almost anything. But my wife knows enough not to buy whatever it is, the the brand off-brand Oreos, because they don't dunk in milk right, they don't absorb right, they don't taste good. And one of the worst things in the world you could do is if you ran into the grocery store too quickly and you grabbed a package of Oreos, it's blue, it's got the white letters, you bring it home and it's the fakes. And what do you say when you get that? Oh. And you probably throw it away. At least I would. And then I go out and get myself some real Oreos. So now here's the question. Why would we expect someone to take fake something and be happy about it? We give them fake art, fake literature, fake relationships that are Christianized, and we are upset when they look at it and they throw it away. That's not what the world needs. It needs reality. It needs the reality of the gospel, the reality of what Jesus has done, real relationships, real beauty that a real God has created. So we cannot go the other way and simply try and make ourselves look exactly like the world. And you see the difference here. Abraham is willing to have a relationship with Abimelech, but there is a change, isn't there? What happens? In verse 32, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. They left. There's also an interesting reminder here. Many so-called Bible scholars don't like this verse at all because they say, well, this is obviously evidence that there was some late century redactor who inserted something in here into this text and God didn't write this text because there were no Philistines then. To which there's a pretty simple response. When Moses wrote this, there were Philistines. And he was writing it to people who knew that as the land of the Philistines. But why would Moses say that? Other than a geography lesson. I think Moses is reminding us that this, at the time of Abraham, it was also a land filled with God's enemies, with those who did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who were blasphemers, who were hostile to the things of the Lord. And Abraham lived and he ate and he slept and he glorified God. He went about his life. And so Moses is telling them, and he's telling you, you can do the same. Don't forget that others around you are different. But you can live a life that glorifies God in their midst. 
And Abraham understands this and he reminds himself in a very interesting way. He names this place Beersheba. Which is a little bit of a a pun, a play on words. It either means well of the oath, the oath they took. Or it can also mean well of the seven. Why would it be well of the seven? Seven lambs. The sign of the covenant that Abraham had made and entered into with Abimelech. He understands that he will keep his word, that he will keep the oath, and that God will provide. And then he begins to proclaim the Lord in the midst of this. He plants a tree. Now, understand this. He's in the middle of a dry land. He's a sojourner, but God has promised to him this land. And what does he do? He plants one of the longest living trees in existence then. What do trees need? Water. Exactly. He is testifying that God will keep him here and that God will provide. In the midst of everyone. Are you doing that? I'm not asking you to plant the tree. When you speak about your children's college, do you speak to others about how you pray and hope that there will be a ministry there to minister to them? And how one of the things you're going to think about when choosing a college is that there will be a good church for them to attend. When you speak of your own family, do you speak of how the Lord is at work in your midst and how He is sustaining you and He will provide even in difficult times? This is how we testify that we worship the living God in the midst of a world that does not. So Abraham ends this chapter on what seems to be a very simple note, but it is incredibly powerful. He plants a tree and he calls there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He calls on and worships the God who is without beginning and without end. He acknowledges that He is the servant of the living God. This teaches us one final lesson in conclusion. Abraham has been blessed. He has been given peace. He has been given justice. He has been given good relationships with others around him. And all of those blessings come from the Lord and they are used not to make Abraham happier, not to make him more self-sufficient, not because he is owed them by God. They are given to Abraham as an aid in proclaiming the truth of who God is in the world around him. Every blessing that you have is a gift of God that equips you to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Your health, your wealth, your family, your knowledge, your reading ability, the availability of the Scriptures. Everything that you have is a gift from God. And that gift comes with a purpose. That you would glorify Him. That you would testify that He is the everlasting Father. That in Him alone is found grace and peace. 
This is the lesson that Abraham brings to us. It is a lesson that we can put into action this very day. By God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, for the way that you have indeed blessed us and encouraged us through this story. We ask, O Lord, that you would give us opportunities to testify to your goodness in our everydays. We ask, O Lord, that you would explode the myths that we have created that keep us from doing your will. And we ask this, Lord, in boldness and in confidence. For we know, O Lord, that you indeed are able. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.